1: 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume, live on AMP. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I hope your guys' weeks are off to a good start. Here's the plan for the next couple of days. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Ben Simmons' return to Philly. Just focusing in on that game and on some of the narratives surrounding Ben Simmons. And then keep an eye on the feed tomorrow, we're going to be doing a mailbag. So all of you guys who send in mailbag questions. I really appreciate that. We're going to get to a bunch of them. I think I picked out seven of them that we're going to be hitting tomorrow. So keep an eye on the feeds. And then also for those of you who are listening to this on YouTube or on the podcast feed, don't forget that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these post-game breakdowns. So this was a good old-fashioned ass-kicking in a lot of different ways. It felt like Philly was completely in control that entire second half. They really pulverized Brooklyn on the glass and shot the ball really, really well. Now, remember, uh, Brooklyn has been really good defensively lately. They're fourth coming into tonight. They were fourth in defensive rating since the Kyrie suspension, but they are a long and athletic team, but they're not a physically imposing team. They are not strong. And when you look at that Philly roster and even down three, basically their three best players, even down those guys, it's like PJ Tucker, big, strong wing, like physically imposing wing. Tobias Harris, big, strong wing, even, you know, Montrez Harrell, he plays a lot bigger and stronger than he actually is. Paul Reed, big, strong player. And then they've got enough ball handling and shooting with, you know, with um, uh, with guys like De'Anthony Melton that they picked up. And, and Furkan Korkmaz can make plays with the basketball in his hands. They've got guys that can play offense. And so if you bring a weak effort, you can still lose to that team, especially when they're in front of a crowd that's highly motivated and that wants to beat the Brooklyn Nets because Ben Simmons plays for them which we'll talk about here in just a second. Tobias Harris absolutely dominated the second half of this game. You know it's funny when when I coming into the season I talked about Philly's top four players and how they were the most talented top four in the league and everyone, you know, seemed to kind of react in a in a, a very unenthusiastic manner to that because it's like a lot of times guys like Tobias Harris just kind of get forgotten and he is the forgotten member of that group but the reality is, is that has more to do with his role than it does with his actual skill set. Tobias Harris is a big strong wing that has a good versatile skill set that allows him to score the basketball. He's just on a team alongside Tobias or excuse me alongside Tyrese Maxey, who's one of the best young guards in the league, James Harden who's just flat out one of the best guards in the league, and Joel Embiid who's a top six or seven player in the league. So he's relegated down to a role where he's doing a lot more spotting up, a lot more attacking closeouts, a lot more playing on the margins rather than doing things with the basketball in his hands. And that's that's just an important part of the game of basketball, something that impacted me when I played in college. My first couple years, I was a scorer. I was playing on teams that were less talented. They put the basketball in my hands. I averaged double figures. I shot a lot better, had a bunch of big scoring games. And then I played on a team where I had two All-American guards and they stuck me in the corner. And it was a completely different type of role. And in that season, I had my worst shooting season. After shooting like 50% in conference play from three the previous year, I couldn't make a damn shot to save my life in that much smaller role. And, you know, in a lot of cases like that, when you get into a different type of basketball role, you can struggle. And I feel like over the years, Tobias Harris has gone a little bit underappreciated and, and has become that forgotten member of the team that has more to do with the role that he's in than it does his actual skill set. And what did he do that entire second half? He picked on the smaller Brooklyn guards and wings and scored over the top of them because he is a big, skilled Wing, And I, I hope that a, a game like tonight just kind of reminds people that he's capable of a lot more than what he has shown for the Sixers over the course of the last couple of years. And really he's a guy who's sacrificing to make this particular team work and that people should be a little bit more hesitant to offer criticism towards him when he's having a rough night, when he's, you know, playing on the margins. Um, Brooklyn, again, like I said earlier, they've been much better defending and rebounding lately. Even in since the Kyrie suspension, they've been 23rd in rebounding, which originally before that they were like near the very bottom. So again, bad but better than it had been. But tonight they completely let go of the rope with both, and they got their ass kicked. And that's how it's going to go. Um, you know, for Ben Simmons, I, I really didn't think the reception was that bad. And uh, you know, there were some boos. You know, when he missed a jump hook, there'd be some boos. When you know, just in general. There was some negative energy that was directed towards him, but it wasn't that bad. And the reason why I think is pretty simple. First of all, this isn't LeBron coming back to Cleveland as the best player in the world. Ben Simmons is a, is a bad contract right now. He's played a few good games in a row, but right now he's not a super desirable basketball player. So it's not like the Philly fans horribly miss him, if that makes sense. And then secondly, they got James Harden back in that deal they could not get James Harden if it wasn't for the Ben Simmons trade. And, you know, James Harden hasn't been the MVP James Harden that we're accustomed that we're accustomed to, but he's definitely been a top 20 something player in the league over the course of the last couple seasons, and a hell of a lot better than Ben Simmons has been. And so that saga, the whole Ben Simmons saga, worked out pretty damn well for the Philadelphia 76ers. So I don't, I don't think that. I don't think that they have a lot of reason to be upset at Ben. And even when we go further and like, like, for instance, when we look at the refusal to play, because in terms of, you know, like I think a big part of why Cleveland fans were mad at LeBron was the manner in which he went to Miami. You look at the decision, there's kind of like a, he looks really happy. It looks like he's a kid in a candy store picking from teams the optics of it were really bad. And so in a lot of ways, when you saw that, and then you saw him put on the Miami Heat jersey, and you see him do that weird party where he's saying the not five, not six, not seven. They're, you know, just Bosh, Wade, and and LeBron by themselves, not with the rest of the team, but just those three in an arena doing like a hype event. Like there was a lot of objectively really unlikable stuff that was done there that made it so that when LeBron came back, he he was kind of a pariah. And then of course, when he went into the arena, it was like almost painfully awkward to watch as the crowd was treating him horribly. And he was just lighting them on fire. Like he destroyed them in that game, particularly with his jump shooting and with every passing shot that he made. And, Turned and looked at the Cavs bench, it almost was like more and more unlikable. Really, LeBron's redemption didn't happen until he got humiliated in the 2011 playoffs, and that kind of humbled him in a lot of ways. And then he became his more likable version of himself moving forward. But, you know, the Ben Simmons thing had a lot of similar hallmarks, right? Like, didn't show up first to training camp, skipped a bunch of stuff, but then he does show up and he's got like his phone in his pocket on. While he's running through defensive drills and then he's like, you know, he's bringing up mental health issues and all these different things. There are a lot of reasons for Philly fans to dislike Ben, but the dirty little secret is him doing that was the best possible thing that could have happened to Philly because Ben Simmons had a bad playoff game against the Atlanta Hawks and a really bad playoff moment where he passed up on the dunk, right? But for the most part, over the previous couple of years, he'd been really damn good. In 2021, he was one of the candidates for defensive player of the year. You know, so like Ben Simmons had a lot of value. And so him not actually playing to start the season last year kept like an aura of of mystery surrounding Ben in a good way. It was like you were trading for what you thought was the previous version of Ben. Had he shown up to camp with the back issues that he had been having, with the knee issues that he had been having, essentially in a declined form, had he been, you know, more of a professional and just showed up to work during his trade request, he would have probably tanked his own value well beyond the point of any hope of bringing a James Harden back in a deal like that. So the reality is, is whether it was the disrespect or the mental health issues or the combination of all those different things him doing that that stunt that him and clutch sports pulled hid the fact that he had massively declined as a player which kept the, his trade value more of a you know a question mark rather than a sure thing that it was definitively a bad contract at that point and it facilitated that particular deal so the reality is is for Philly it's about as good as it could have gone and i think that's why there's not that much negative energy towards him and I think that's I think that's why tonight didn't have that feel of LeBron coming back to Cleveland or anything else along those lines. On a positive note for Ben, in Ben's declined form, he literally needs a team like Brooklyn to find bask uh, to find value on a basketball court right now. A big part of it is that inverted spacing concept that I talk a lot, a lot about. You guys have heard me talk about this with Golden State. Every you know people will say like, "Oh, Draymond won't take that three. Well, it just doesn't matter because the paint. They're not actively trying to drive the basketball into the paint all that often, so spacing doesn't matter to them. Like, if Draymond Green is unguarded on the right wing and Clay Thompson is guarded in the right corner, they'll just kick it to Dre, and he'll quick do a dribble handoff for Clay and he'll get a wide-open three. When you have teams that are actively trying to take the top off of the defense with jump shooting, spacing just doesn't matter all that much. So a guy like Ben Simmons, if you put him alongside Anthony Davis and LeBron, that could be a catastrophe. LeBron James and Anthony Davis are two – of the top four restricted area finishers in the league right now. They're constantly hunting those opportunities. That congestion would be problematic for them. This is a Brooklyn Nets team that has Kevin Durant, one of the best pull-up jump shooters in the league. Kyrie Irving, one of the best pull-up jump shooters in the league. Seth Curry, one of the best shooters in the league. Patty Mills, one of the best shooters in the league. Joe Harris, one of the best shooters in the league. Here's some numbers to kind of demonstrate what I'm talking about. 60% of Brooklyn's shot attempts this year are jump shots. 29% of them are pull-up jump shots. So almost a third of Brooklyn's offense is an off-the-dribble jump shot over the defense. And then another third of them are catch-and-shoot jump shots. So they're just not hunting those at-the-rim opportunities nearly enough for that to matter. As a comparison, here's some Lakers numbers. Only 45% of their shot attempts are jump shots. Only 16% of their shot attempts are pull-up jump shots. So spacing is just going to matter a lot more to them because they're constantly trying to force their way to the basket and congestion disrupts those driving lines. On a team like Brooklyn, if Ben Simmons' defender is ignoring him and roaming, it just doesn't hurt nearly as much. And honestly, his ability to make plays out of the short roll is significantly more valuable for them. It's kind of like with Draymond. The ability to quickly do something with the basketball that creates an advantage for someone else when you're left wide open is much more valuable for a jump shooting team, and he's doing everything Brooklyn needs that uh, needs him to do. He's finding openings around the rim for drop offs and quick finishes. He's been having a lot of scoring success in this last three or four games in the dunker spot, just by relocating and staying available and quickly making you know reverse layups and things along those lines. It doesn't have to be dunks, although he had a couple of dunks in lob situations tonight. Um, but he's also really, he's still getting the ball in transition and pushing the ball and hunting shooters exactly like Draymond Green does. And that's always been one of Ben Simmons's best gifts. And then in pick and roll situations with Kevin Durant, he can make quick decisions out of the short roll. And then he's, st- he's not the defensive player of the year type of candidate that he was a couple years ago, but he's still a very good plus defender and has a knack for defensive playmaking. Uh, there was a play there in the uh, you know, playmaking is, is such a vague term in all sports because it, 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 it doesn't really have like a definition in the sense that like, oh, you just did playmaking. You know what I mean? But because we can sort all these plays down to specific types, pull up jump shot here, you know, a steal here, a block here, whatever it is. To me, playmaking is a natural feel for the momentum in a basketball game and like improvisational things on either end of the floor that create a momentum shift in a basketball game. For example, end of the first half. Ben Simmons, I can't remember who he was guarding, it might have been Matisse, uh, Matisse Thibault, but it was out by half court, and he rips the ball away. But when he rips the ball away, the ball's loose on the ground. Ben Simmons sees Kevin Durant streaking the floor, because Kevin Durant started streaking because he thought Ben Simmons had the basketball, but he didn't. Ben Simmons laid out and just punched the basketball into the front court, and it went right into Kevin Durant's hands, and he ended up getting a dunk. And like, That's playmaking. There's no, whoever practices punching the basketball, like a diving punch of the basketball, nobody does. What that is, is that's an instinctual, improvisational thing that you do on a basketball court that ends up in a momentum shift. Of course, DeAnthony Melton stole all that momentum by knocking a three down right before the end of the half, but that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Ben Simmons is a defensive playmaker for this team that doesn't hurt them on the offensive end because of the things that he can do in the dunker spot and in the short roll. Ideal situation for him. So again, happy for Philly. They did fine in the Ben Simmons saga. Happy for Brooklyn because in this, now they got snowed basically on the James Harden trade. That's a whole other story. But as far as Ben Simmons goes, this is pretty much the ideal situation for him at this point.
0: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available
1: in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart in the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano. of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you feeling stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started to see a little more of your scalp? Are you unhappy with your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many root causes at play, and Nutrafol addresses them through a multi-targeted, whole-body approach. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster growing hair with less shedding. Physician formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through a whole body health. Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker and healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription. And free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code Hoops, that's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrifol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Hoops, H-O-O-P-S. That's nutrifol.com, promo code Hoops. This is our last show for this week we're going to take the, the rest of the the week off i do plan on still watching a good amount of hoops and and doing the usual stuff that i do in the mornings watching some films so keep an eye on my twitter feed at underscore jason lt in the mornings that's primarily when i'll be getting you know just some instant reaction stuff on those particular games we will not have a show until next Monday, we're doing a mailbag episode today. So thank you to everyone who contributed to the mailbag questions. We have six questions there we are, that we are going to get to today covering a bunch of different teams. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements as well as some uh, breakdowns over the course of the rest of this week. And then last but not least, if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these videos, and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. All right, question number one. This is from 0%. Do you think there is a decent chance the Lakers keep Westbrook for the entire season? If so, what trade do you think would make sense for them? So is there a chance they keep Westbrook? Yes. First of all, there were a million reasons to get rid of him last summer and then they didn't. So whatever conventional wisdom approach or logical progression we had in mind, we got to throw that out the window because that's just not the way this front office works. They had the toughest schedule in the league to start the season, and they said, let's send them out there and see how this goes, and it was a complete disaster. So like, we can't put ourselves in the brain space of Rob Polinka and Jeannie Buss because they are two of the most incompetent people in the entire league. So we have to kind of distance ourselves from that. Secondly, the narrative surrounding Russell Westbrook as a sixth man is really powerful right now. And he's been good. He's been, Russ has had a good season off the bench, particularly as a pick and roll shot creator with Anthony Davis. I saw a stat today that matches up with what we've seen on film, which is that Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis are two of the best pick and roll pairings that we have in the league right now by points per possession. And I've been you know, talking about that a lot earlier in the year, based on the fact that Russ was actually trying to get downhill on the screen. Whenever you're running pick and roll, you have to engage the screen defender to actually open up the passing reads that are available in pick and roll. LeBron James was too passive, wasn't actually coming over the top of the screens, was picking up his dribble earlier, throwing pocket passes to Anthony Davis before engaging the screen defender. And so the LeBron AD pick and roll has been bad this year, like flat out bad. I did a whole video breakdown on that particular concept that you can find on my Twitter feed. If you scroll back, I think it was last Thursday, if I remember correctly, but I broke down the good LeBron pick and rolls, versus the bad LeBron pick and rolls. Russ pick and rolls have been good because he's been trying to get downhill and he's just generally been doing a good job carving up bench units around the league. And he's been better defensively than he was last year, although not great. However, I vehemently disagree with the strategy of keeping Russell Westbrook. Here's... They still desperately need a couple of more good role players. A couple of guys have risen in from the pile and, and formed you know pretty decent-sized roles on this team and have become solid NBA players. Austin Reeves, Lonnie Walker, who I was flat-out wrong about this summer, Troy Brown Jr. Those three guys have done a good job becoming functional basketball players alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but that's not enough. They need more than that, and Russ makes $47 million and he won't be in the closing lineup. He hasn't even been in the closing lineup every game since LeBron went out. When LeBron's back, he's almost never going to be in the closing lineup. You can't tie up a $47 million salary slot on a guy that you can't use in your final five. That's just a poor use of, re, uh, of resources. So his salary, realistically, is still the best vehicle with which to bring back multiple good players. Eric Pincus of Bleacher Report pitched a deal yesterday. Uh, a three-team deal that would involve the Brooklyn Nets and the Detroit Pistons that would bring back Kyrie Irving, Boyan Bogdanovich, Alec Burks, and Nerlens Noel. Obviously, that would be perfect because you get a backup big. You know, since uh, Damian Jones hasn't really panned out, Thomas Bryant remains to be seen. He's been pretty good, but it's only been a couple of games since he came back. Nerlens Noel gives you a, a legitimate, you know, backup big to throw in there. Alec Burks actually killed the Lakers the other night just because he's a big wing. That can, he's about 6'6", but he's a good athlete just because he's bigger and stronger than most Laker players. And he was just attacking closeouts and getting to the foul line a bunch and causing problems for them. He's just as a good, a solid NBA role player, right? That you can throw into the mix. Boy and Bogdanovich gives them a wing that allows them to play AD at the five. And then Kyrie Irving is the shot making piece that they miss. They're one of the best. The Lakers are one of the worst pull-up jump shooting teams in the league. I think they are far and away the worst. Pull-up jump shooting team in the league. So Kyrie gives you a, a, a punch there. But that's kind of like a long shot. So that I like the idea from Eric Pincus, but it's hard to imagine that specific deal um, working out. As far as trade options go for the Lakers, they have two directions that they can go. They can go big, think like the Indiana Pacers trade. Miles Turner has been one of the best defensive bigs in the league this year and is routinely throwing out like 20 and 10 with a made three and a couple of different a couple of blocks. That's a big part of how Indiana has been so good, Buddy Hield. You know, I've been watching a ton of film on Buddy Hield in the last couple of weeks, kind of prepping for potential Lakers trades. And you know, I like him as a shooter. I like the things that he does off of the ball, especially in spot up situations, attacking closeouts and stuff. He's actually not great handling the ball in pick and roll. Um, so I, I don't, I, I don't love that specific aspect. That that actually has been a little bit. Worse than I expected, but Miles Turner has been so damn good that that particular trade is an interesting option for the Lakers, and it gives them a big punch. It gives them the ability to play 80 at the four for large chunks of the game, which is something they did a lot in 2020 to alleviate some of the workload on Anthony Davis, and then he'd play his primary minutes at the five. The other direction they could go is targeting more wings to try to keep AD at the five. That's where you're looking for teams like maybe if Utah eventually blows it up. If Detroit continues to go downhill, you can target a guy like Bogdanovich. But I have a hard time believing Detroit would just let go of Bogdanovich too, because I think they like his veteran presence alongside those young guys. Another team I really like targeting athletes on the wing is Charlotte who has been one of the best teams in the league early in the year in deflections, just because of how much length and athleticism they have on the floor. You can get a guy um, like Kelly Oubre Jr. or a guy like Gordon Hayward, who's been a really good pick and roll ball handler this year to bring wing size, to keep AD at the five. But those are just two different identities that the Lakers can go. They just need to pick one and they need to go in that direction. My guess is that they keep Russ because of all this narrative stuff. And then they'll make some ancillary move. Like, Kendrick Nunn and Patrick Beverly for a wing with maybe one first round pick. But even then, I don't even think they'll throw a pick on the table unless LeBron comes back and starts playing really well. Big silver lining. Anthony Davis has been fantastic in the last uh, week or so. All right, next question. This is from NMZ Hoops. The Sacramento Kings, winners of six straight, averaging 131.5 points during this stretch. Is it just a hot stretch Or is it time to take them serious as a sleeper in the West? First of all, before I rain on the parade a little bit, let's talk about some of the good stuff. They're the best offense in the league right now. They're averaging 118.6 points per 100 possessions. Kevin Herter is shooting the, the laces off the damn basketball. There are 32 players in the league right now that are attempting at least seven threes per game, and he's number one in percentage at 49 and a half. He's also doing a, uh, he's added like a little bit more of like a, uh, that Clay Thompson, like quick relocation dribble three. So he's taking two and a half pull up threes per game and he's making 55% of them. And they're not like, you know, mixing dudes off the dribble and taking threes, it's closeout stuff. So like pump fake, one dribble over to his left, quick three. That's a staple of the Clay Thompson one. Pump fake, hard dribble towards the left. Like when the closeout's not as hard, hard dribble towards the left. Like you're going to the rim and then step back he can make that one. Or an escape dribble coming off a screen. So imagine he's in the left corner and he's coming off of a couple of wide pin downs and he catches the ball, but the defender is a little too close to him. He'll just take one extra dribble to get a little bit further away before he rises up. He's actually doing a really nice job creating additional looks for himself doing that. De'Aaron Fox has been a borderline all-star to start the year. His jump shot looks a lot better than last year. He's been very good in pick-and-roll. We talked about this last week. 199 points and 187 pick-and-rolls, including passes, which is in the 74th percentile in the league. Uh, Damanis Sabonis is doing all the usual Sabonis stuff, bullying his way to the rim. He's always been a great passer. Uh, When he passes out of the post this year, the Kings are scoring 1.27 points per possession, which is very good. Keegan Murray's a great fit. Malik Monk and Davion Mitchell have both been really good. Lots of good for the Kings. But... They're 27th in defense. They're just one in three against teams that are 500 or better. In fact, they rank dead last in strength of schedule right now. They've just been able to outscore teams because they're playing almost exclusively bad teams. The reality is, is eventually, their schedule will toughen up, and they'll have to play a more balanced brand of two-way basketball, or they're going to start losing games. That's just the reality. And we're going to learn a lot more about this team in the next couple of weeks, this is their upcoming schedule. They're finishing a game against Memphis right now, although Memphis is super short-handed. They're down their three best players. Uh, then they play Atlanta and Boston. Atlanta and Boston on the road. Then they play Phoenix. Then they play that red-hot Pacers team. Then they play the Clippers. Then they play the Bulls, who just beat the Celtics. Then they play the Bucks, and then they play the Cavs. So, if you're a Kings fan and you're hating on me because I'm pointing out the strength of schedule stuff. You're going to have a chance to rub it in my face if they rip through that next stretch of schedule by going, you know, by winning four or five of those games, which we will see. Like I said, we will know if the Kings are for real in about two weeks. All right, next question. This is from Vrix. Moving forward, who do you think needs to step up more for the Warriors, Jordan Poole or Andrew Wiggins? It's Jordan Poole, no question. He's having a bad season. He scored 26 on Monday night, but a lot of bad decision making really uh kind of like a ball hog type of game, just hunting his shot as the Warriors were just getting the crap beat out of him. He's been super inconsistent offensively and flat out bad defensively, and the bench desperately needs him to be better to help bolster that unit. While on the other, on the other end, Andrew Wiggins has just been flat out good as he always is. So definitely Jordan Poole is the player who needs to step up more for the Warriors. All right, this one is from Joshua. What could the Mavs add to their offensive scheme, given their current personnel, to make it less Luka-centric? Not a whole lot. You know, Christian Wood is having a good offensive season. That was the offensive piece they brought in this summer. But it's mostly been when he's been created for. He's doing good in spot-up situations and on the roll. But he's having a slightly below-average season in both ISO and post-up situations. And now he's playing less and less because he's so bad defensively. His defensive instincts are really bad. He's always up out of his stance, so he can't rotate quickly, even though he's actually a pretty good athlete with really long arms. Just bad instincts, overhelps, or hugs up to his defender. His, his matchup. A lot of bad stuff offensive, uh, defensively that's leading him to, to slip out of the rotation. And then Tim Hardaway Jr. is just having a disaster shooting season. I think they were counting on him to be better than he's been. The truth is, is that the Mavericks have a lot of specialists and not a lot of well-rounded offensive basketball players, which is fine. That's the design of the system. There's a lot of guys that can make spot-up threes and a lot of guys that can defend, but you need your three solid creators, and ever since they lost Jalen Brunson, they just don't have that. And when you look at the numbers, Spencer Dinwiddie's been good. Luka Doncic has been good, both in pick-and-roll and and isolation, both of those guys, including passing. They just need that third creator, which they don't have. And the reality is, is they don't have a ton of options on the trade market. Um, I would keep an eye on a Russ buyout here. So in the event of a Russell Westbrook trade, there's a pretty good chance that he gets bought out. And this, like the, the, Eric Pincus in his bleacher report article yesterday, uh, said that in the event of a Russell Westbrook buyout, most of the league thinks he's going to the Miami heat. And that's also a good fit for him. And we're actually going to talk about that here in a little bit, but I think Dallas is the perfect fit for him. And the main reason why is their spacing concepts like Russell Westbrook is a Russell Westbrook racks up assists because of his ability to pressure the rim, but he's actually not a great passer. He's more of like a, uh, he makes simple reads relentlessly and he's just so good at getting to the rim that all those easy reads to the corners and to the dunker spot are just always open because of the pressure that he puts on the rim and the way the defense collapses around him. So I think his passing would be ideal in a system like Dallas that has those concepts nailed down and it's always like Reggie Bullock or Dorian Finney-Smith or Maxi a great shooter in those corners and if it's someone in the dunker spot it's a Christian Wood it's a Dwight Powell it's a JaVale McGee a guy that can easily finish down there so it's a simplified offensive system where you put the ball in Russ's hands and it's like hey dude for the next 14 possessions I need you to create a shot well that's ideal for him he can just play Russ ball he's got easy passing reads there for him I think that's a perfect fit so one of the the uh, easy ways for Dallas to bolster their playmaking is hope for a Russell Westbrook trade and hope that he gets bought out and then pitch him like, Hey, don't go to Miami, you know, come to us. And, and we're just going to let you play Russ ball. Um, all right. Next question. This is from miles. Do you think too many people brush off? Paul George as just another player. Yes. Thank you, miles. So glad that you said this. Um, he deserved his earlier reputation when he was struggling in the postseason, both with the thunder, you know, struggling with the likes of Joe Ingalls. And then even with the Clippers, um, really struggling in the bubble in particular, he at one point lost five playoff series in a row and he deserved a lot of the criticism that went his way there, but he's not the same player now that he was then he's much better getting to the rim and he's a much better passer overall. He's an outstanding perimeter defender that can score at all three levels and that can playmake out of the pick and roll and out of the post. So he's on a that automatically puts you in the conversation of, as to whether or not you're a superstar. I think he's in that tier right below superstar in that like 10 to 15 range with the likes of like Brandon Ingram and Jalen Brown and guys like that. But he's definitely better than those two guys. I think he's like at the top of the tier that's right below the superstars. His passing is probably his most underrated skill right now. He's passed out of the pick and roll. 109 times this year that has led to 121 points, which is in the 81st percentile in the league. He also passes really well out of the post. He's a legit dominant two-way wing whose last playoff run was dominant. Don't forget that when Kawhi went down, he took the Suns to – he beat the Jazz and then took the Suns to six and came within two wins of an NBA Finals. He's capable of outplaying any player in the league on any given night. He's not just a guy, like Miles said, so I appreciated that. From Mr. Miles. This last question is from Mike. What do you believe the Heat need to turn around the season? So they've dropped four games in a row, three in a row without Jimmy Butler. They were already thin in the front court as soon as they lost P.J. Tucker to the Sixers. That's something that we were on before the season. And, you know, it's manifested in, in particular in stretches like this where they've had guys out of the lineup because it's mainly a depth issue. Their core lineups, before we go any further into this, the silver lining... With this bad heat start to the season, is that when Bam at a bio, Jimmy Butler, and Kyle Lowry are on the floor together, they have a 119 offensive rating and a 110 defensive rating, which is plus nine per 100 possessions. And that's in a large sample size, 536 possessions. So it's primarily a depth issue. Um, but the reality is, is, because of that thin front court, they just can't afford to have Jimmy or Bam miss games. Like Nikola Jovic, I was watching a bunch of film on him earlier today. He's fine. He's got a he's got good form on his jump shot, but he's not a very good athlete right now. And he's you know, it's been a mixed bag defensively. And even though the form looks good on the jump shot, the jump shot's not going in. So there's a lot of stuff there. Um, you know, he hasn't been good enough to bolster that front court in the way they need. They're one in four in games that Jimmy Butler has missed and oh and two in games that Bam has missed. And they're down to 23rd in offense. You know, lack of offensive creation was an issue last year that I constantly talked about, but they made up for it with execution. They're one of the smartest teams in the league. Jimmy Butler just going otherworldly good in the playoffs. And then they were a very good defensive team. They were fourth in defense last year, but they're so damn thin in the front court that they can't get stops anymore. According to cleaning the glass this year, they're 18th in half court defense. And then on the offensive creation side of things, especially now that Jimmy Butler's out, like Bam's been fine. You know, he's. He's created 40 points on 40 post-ups, including passes, which is 60th percentile, so slightly above average. 41 points on 38 isos, which is in the 71st percentile, but that's all really low volume. That's, you know, every once in a while we throw the ball to Bam and he makes a play. That's not like, you know, constructing the offense around him. Bam is a Swiss army knife of a defensive forward who is a very good offensive player in the Miami Heat system because of the things that he can do in fake dribble handoffs and, and how good of a screener he is and how good he is as a vertical spacer and his ability to occasionally create offense and ISO and post-ups. But what he's not is the offensive focal point for a great team. That, that ship has sailed at this point. Um, Kyle Lowry has been a rock of availability. He hasn't missed a game, but he's having his least efficient scoring season since 2015. He's shooting just 39% from the field. He's having a really bad pick and roll season. He's run 212 pick and rolls this year that have led to just 191 points, which is 0.9 points per possession, which is in the 37th percentile in the league. But again, as we back away, the silver lining when Bam and Jimmy and Kyler on the floor, they're plus nine per 100 possessions and a pretty good sample size. So it's really just a depth issue. So th- th- they should be super active in the trade market, looking for front court depth. Jay Crowder is obviously available. I wouldn't be surprised if they're a player when, when, uh, when uh, those talks eventually heat up. Uh, And then teams will eventually start tanking. There was a mailbag question in there that I didn't put on the list, but someone asked, like, do you think there's any chance that the Jazz still end up trying to tank? And they've won so many games at this point that, uh, like, they're probably going to, even if they did try to tank, they're still going to finish with 25, 30 wins. And, you know, the reality is, is they just have so many good players. Like, they could trade Mike Conley and they could trade, you know, uh, Rudy Gay and, and Jordan Clarkson, but it's like Colin Sexton's still there and he's really good. Ory Markkinen's really good. Jared Vanderbilt's a really good player. They just, you know, Malik Beasley can shoot the shit out of the basketball. They just, they have so many good players that I, it's kind of not feasible for them to to pull the team apart. You know, in in a way that would actually make them bad. So I don't think the Jazz are going to be tanking anymore, but they might still make some players available in trade. But there will be some teams out there that eventually start pulling the plug. And when they do, I'd expect the Miami Heat to jump into those conversations. And then, like I said earlier, Eric Pincus from Bleacher Report said that the buzz around the league is that if Russell Westbrook gets bought out, he's going to Miami. And I do like that for Russ a lot. I don't like it as much as that Dallas situation, but it's a similar type of idea. They have lots of shooting with Gabe Vincent, Max Strus, Tyler Harrow, Kyle Lowry. I think they're making Duncan Robinson available for trade as well. I saw a report about that today. Uh, but Russ's ability to pressure the rim, it, you know, the thing with Miami, they, they don't have good offensive creators, but they do have guys that can attack closeouts well, whether that's shooting or extending the advantage, right? So the key for them is they just they don't have enough guys that can get the defense into rotation. And say what you want about Russell Westbrook, he's got a lot of flaws, but his ability to get to the basket does put teams into rotation. He will get Max Truce, you know, uh, Gabe Vincent, Kyle Lowry, those guys close out opportunities. You know, Tyler Harrell is one of the best closeout attackers in the league. You get a bunch of opportunities for those guys that could be something that helps juice up their offense uh, um, a little bit. He also plays bigger than his size at six three. So that bolsters them physically, and that's something they desperately need. And then Eric Spolstra is just a really smart coach. And uh, he would probably find a way to use Russ effectively. So bottom line, this version of Miami Heat is not a feasible contender, but they are a move or two away from re-entering that conversation. All right, that is all I have for today. All I have for the rest of the week, I hope all of you guys enjoy the holiday. Hope you have some good food. I hope you spend some time with family. And I will see you guys on Monday. Like I said, keep an eye on the Twitter feeds. I'll be doing the occasional. I'll just you know tweet out my thoughts on a handful of important games and um, send out some video footage and stuff like that. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys supporting the show. And I will see you on Monday.